Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, today we continue our series that we've been in for about a month now, Investigating Jesus. And what we've been doing is trying to give you a place to start. If you have been, uh, you know, in your past, kind of deconstructing faith, you've dismissed faith, you've disbelieved, or maybe you're a believer and just sometimes you doubt, you wonder, you have questions. And it's kind of like, I wish somebody would speak to like the part of the Bible that really connects with history. And that's what this whole uh, series is about. And we really kind of started with the question that maybe you have asked, maybe you know somebody who has asked, but you at least have to be ready to answer this question because somebody might ask it in your life. Somebody you really care about, it would really matter to you if they knew the answer to it. And this is how we started the whole series. How do we know that there is anything to the story of Jesus? How do we know? And maybe even a deeper question than that is, why is he worth following? Because if we don't know why, why if, if there's any validation or veracity to his story, then following him also sort of follows, uh, you know, that question like, uh, you know, that's what Jesus is asking us to do is to come and follow him. And so if you're someone who is searching for the credibility and veracity of the Christian movement or the Christian church, this is the place that you have to start. You have to start with the identity of a single individual, and that is Jesus of Nazareth, obviously. That is the place that you have to begin. And we were talking about this early on that we've got to boil it down to the accounts that were written about him. Now, there were other extra biblical accounts like Josephus, the Jewish historian, or Tacitus, the the Roman historian. But if you really want the nuts and bolts, the nitty gritty, if you will, of Jesus' life, what he taught, what he was about, you have to look at the Gospels. You have to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So here's the question, the critical question you have to ask if you're really investigating or somebody that you love is investigating the faith in Jesus Christ. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and these are the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, right? Or John, a reliable account of actual events. Now, I happen to believe all four, and there is very convincing evidence that they are all four historically accurate accounts. You might not be there, or somebody that you love might not be there, right? And we're we're just not paying attention to the world we live in if we assume everybody believes that, right? It's just not true. But how do we help people to take a step? So what we've been doing, we've taken one of the Gospels, Luke, named for its author, uh, physician Luke. He was a meticulously detailed uh, account writer. He was writing his document. He tells us right up front in Luke chapter 1, this is why I am writing this document. This is why this thing even exists in the world. Let me show you why I wrote this. He tells us up in verse 1 that many have taken up the, uh, the, the task of trying to record the things of Jesus' life. And then he tells us in verse 3, I too have decided to write an orderly account for you so that you may know with certainty, with the certainty of the things that you have been taught. 
So he's telling us, I am documenting the life of Jesus, starting all the way back to the beginning. As a matter of fact, Luke is one of only two, Matthew and Luke, are the ones that start with the birth of Jesus. The other gospels kind of start in, on into his ministry. And so this is really part of how we know about the Christmas story at all is because of Luke's recording of it. And again, Matthew as well. But, and it was thought that Luke literally sat down with Mary, that's a good source, right, to find out about the birth of Jesus, sat down with Mary and recorded what she told him. And, and so it's, it's really powerful that we have this recorded for us. And he introduces us to some more critical people in the life and work and ministry of Jesus, starting with John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. We looked at him Sunday before Easter. And uh, so if you missed that one, you can go back and check that one out. And it's powerful to see how he is so rooted in history. And then he, uh, he, kinda, he tells us about John the baptizer. He's the one that really introduces Jesus. He's the forerunner. He's the pregame show, if you will, um, before Jesus launches his public ministry. He's the one that prepares the way to all of Judea, that whole region of the world. Then, and this is where we're going to pick up this week, in chapter 4, here's where we pick up in Luke chapter 4 what he's writing about Jesus. He says, news about him, him being Jesus, spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Everybody was drawn to Jesus. This is so important. Luke is like, let me make a very strong and important point that I don't want you to miss. People liked him even though he wasn't like them. Now, this is really important for us to begin to let that sink in. That Jesus, even though his lifestyle, his convictions, his theology, what he lived according to, was very opposite sometimes of the kind of people that were drawn to him. And they knew it, right? And I'm telling you this because if you are a follower of Jesus that the longer that you follow Jesus, this ought to become more and more true of you as well. That even people who hold very different political views from you, very different worldviews from you, ought to feel love from you. And, and ought not to feel a stiff arm, self-righteous, condemning vibe coming off of you. That there ought to be some love, and that's how Jesus worked. Now, he loved them enough to share the truth in love, and help them to take a step, but this was so important. And so Luke is introducing this idea to it, but he also is helping, uh, he's setting the stage to introduce to us one of the most famous Jesus followers of all time, right? His name is Simon Peter. Now, uh, Peter hears Jesus preach in the synagogue that day, and we're told that Jesus casts a demon out of somebody like right in the middle of the service. Now that's a church service you will never forget, right? get the demon cast out of you, right, by Jesus. Uh, that's incredible. So he's watching this. He invites Jesus back to the house. And when Jesus comes into the house, he realizes Peter's mother-in-law is at death's door. She is very sick. Jesus heals her, okay? And, and, they, and she gets up and prepares a meal for they have dinner together. And all the townspeople of Capernaum are starting to bring all the sick people to the house. We're told in, in verse 40, here's what happens. He says, it says, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Now, 
Many have asked, maybe you are asking, why did Jesus do all these healing ministries? Why was this such a big deal? This is an important point. This is a great question. Uh, Important point to clarify on right here. Because Jesus was healing people to help us to understand who he is. His ability to forgive, uh, pardon me, to heal people was connected to a deeper theology that was indoctrinated into that culture. See, back in the first century when Jesus was doing this ministry, people believed, I mean, it was just a part of the fabric of their community, that sickness, disease, illness was connected to sin. Well, you're sick because you sin. You're a sinner, right? Or it was your parents who sinned. And you see this even in times like when Jesus comes upon blind Bartimaeus with the disciples and they say, Jesus, what made this man blind? Was it his sin or his parents? Like they're, they're showing you, peeking a little peek behind the, the, the curtain here. This is what we all believe. So when Jesus came along, he's speaking a language that would communicate and connect with the people of his day. When he used his and leveraged his power to um, heal sickness, he was showing that he also has the power to overcome and forgive sin. And this was so important in that first century mind for him to begin to help them to understand that he is the key that unlocks that door. And he's, it later shows that the, 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 the healing of the body is nothing. Like, that's just temporary. What you really need is the the healing of your soul, the forgiveness of your soul. You need the gift of salvation that only God can give through his son, Jesus. And this is what Jesus was showing. And he was, it was powerful how he was unfolding this, right? So Jesus spends the night with Peter and his family. He wakes up early the next day, we're told, later in chapter four. He goes away to this lonely place. Some Bibles translate it as the deserted place, the quiet place. It, the Greek word is eremos. It, it means to go alone, quiet, isolated. He went to spend time with his father, okay? It was as though he was like Jesus' quiet time. It was his time with the father. And he goes and does this, and all the people of Capernaum are like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Like, where, where, we, we need him. And they went and sought him out, and they tried to talk him into staying in, staying in Capernaum. Don't go, Jesus. Just stay right here. We'll make a little kumbaya circle, and it'll be just like so fun. Just us. We don't need to worry about all those other people. It's just us. Like, we just stay right here. This is convenient. This is comfortable. We know how to do this. This is easy. But Jesus' response to them in verse 43 is this. He says, I must proclaim the, let's say it together, the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. He's giving us his objective, his mission statement, his, the purpose for which he came. He says, I know you'd like to keep this good news just amongst yourself, but guess what? God brought it to the world for this reason, that it might get shared with other people. And still to this day, I think Jesus is saying, listen, it's time for you to move outside your little bubble. (laughs) It's time for you to be willing to invite and engage, encourage other people that may not be like you to come and find what Jesus has to offer to their life. The kingdom of God also, I want you to see here, when it was originally proclaimed, was seen as good news. So I'm saying that because for some of you, if you think back on your childhood, when you first heard the message of Jesus and the gospel message, the good news, it did not sound like good news to you. 
It, 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 it appeared to you or it was interpreted by you as not good news. It was something I want to stay away from. If I was going to ha- have to survive in God's kingdom, in other words, to live under his rule and reign, I don't want to live like that. Then I would challenge today by saying, listen, maybe the, the version of the gospel you heard was not the OG version, okay? It was not Jesus' version, because when they heard it, they thought, oh my gosh, this is the thing for which my soul has been craving my whole life. Like my life is so screwed up because I haven't been doing it God's way. And I want to know his wisdom. I want to follow him. And Jesus is showing this is the thing for which you were created to live in, uh, in, in harmony with God and his wisdom, his love, and in a relationship with him. And this was such good news, and it still is when we fully, really understand it, okay? And this is what happens as we get to chapter 5 now, starting with verse 1. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, this is the the Sea of Galilee, also known as. Let me just give you some kind of like uh, context for that. If you are not familiar with the Sea of Galilee, literally is eight miles wide and 14 miles long. This is a big, big lake, okay? And many men would provide for their families by fishing just the one lake their whole life and would never really leave that region. They lived there their whole life and that's how they made their living. And this is, uh, and these were kind of fishing villages around the perimeter of Gennesaret. And so Jesus walks up, he goes on to tell us, Luke does. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So Jesus is teaching. This is really fascinating because we associate the word of God with the Bible, and that's accurate. But in the first century, Luke is saying it was the words that were literally coming out of Jesus' mouth were the words of God. And people were drawn to them. They were like, this makes sense. This makes sense of my life. This helps me to understand why I'm here. This gives me context. Like, this is so powerful. It's so important. And he goes on to say that he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Okay, so again, so a little historical context. The fishermen back then would fish at night when the water and the, the air was cooler, they would come to the surface and feed. This is when they could throw their nets into the water and catch a lot more fish. And so they had been fishing literally all night long. It's morning time now, so all the fishermen, this is what they do, this is their routine, pull all their fishing nets out, get all the junk out of it, clean up the nets, hang them up, let them dry, fold them, put them away, and store them for the next day evening and they were tired they literally had been done the you know the graveyard shift they've been working all night long and so we're told that he gets into one of the boats next he got into one of the boats belonging the one belonging to Simon this is Peter all right this was no accident he did this on purpose he gets into Peter's boat and now remember Peter had heard Jesus before he, he was enamored with him. He had healed his mother-in-law. Um, they had, this is not their first conversation, but they start to have a conversation here. He says, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So imagine that. 
There's Peter in the boat. He's tired. He's been working all night. Jesus says, hey, will you just push out just a little bit? So Jesus is going to start to preach to the people. And he's, it's, this is really brilliant because his, his, uh, um, you know, his verbal or his voice will reverberate off the water and it's kind of like a cove and people can kind of gather around and they can all hear him. And that's what happened. And Peter's in the boat. I mean, he's just a captive, captive audience, right? <laughs> like, where's he going to go? He's got the front row seat to hear Jesus' sermon. And then, whenever Jesus finishes, um, whenever he had finished speaking, he says to Simon Peter, now what he says next, this is really fascinating. It's so unexpected, especially to Peter. He did not expect this. But it was something that Peter could do. It was like a baby step. It was like a trust me step. Can you just, let's just help you to get started, Peter. I know you feel far away from God, but I'm going to give you just a little step that you can, you can make towards me. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. Put out a little, uh, pardon me, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, this was a doable step, but costly. There's all these people gathered around. This is going to require him to get all of his nets back out and you know, reload the boat, and he's going to now have to, after fishing in the early morning, he's going to have to clean all the nets again in the heat of the day. This is going to cost him. He's like, this is going to be a lot of extra work. Ooh, Jesus, are you sure about this? All right. So this is what he says next. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. All right. Like, Jesus, are you sure about this? Because this is, goes against all conventional wisdom of my industry, right? Nobody does it like this. Like, we already went fishing at the fishing time, the, the time we're supposed to go fishing. We caught nothing, and now you're wanting us to go back out? And plus, look at all these people. This is going to be awkward. They're all going to be sitting there going, well, what, what are these fools doing? What are they thinking? They're going to catch something now? They didn't catch anything all night and now, you know? But he had to have thought in his heart, because of what you have done for me, Jesus, because you have healed somebody precious to me, my mother-in-law, that, that my family thought she would never get any better. Like, well, look what you have done for me in light of that. If anybody else asked, it would be an unequivocal no, but because you're asking, okay, Jesus, if you want me to go fishing and not catch anything, and that's what you want to do in the heat of the day, Okay, Jesus, be my guest. Let's go. All right, let's get crazy, all right? Because this feels crazy. And, and that's what's going to happen sometimes. Let me just say, whatever industry you're in, if you're following Jesus for any significant period of time, there will come a time where Jesus is going to ask you to go against the conventional wisdom of your industry or of your field of work, where other people are going to scratch their head and say, are you crazy? That's not how you do this. What, you're going to do that for free, or you're going to give this away, or you're going to help people? Like, what, what, are, you, are you just, like, giving up on a profit? Like, what, what is your problem? Like, they're not going to get it, but there are going to be times where Jesus is going to challenge the status quo in your life, and it's important to follow what we see uh, Peter do next. I love this line, but because you say so, but because you say so. If we can, let's, let's say that together. Ready? One, two, three. But because you say so. That one line right there, a prayer unto God, it can change your life. It changed Peter's life. 
It all changed for Peter after he made this one decision. In other words, Jesus wasn't asking Peter to believe something. He was asking him to do something, right? And Jesus knows something about us that we forget about ourselves. Until we do, we don't really believe. You know, ladies, if you have a guy saying, oh, baby, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and they don't really ever show it with their actions, don't believe them, right? We have a name for people who espouse one thing. They say it over and over and over and over, but their life contradicts that. We call them hypocrites, right? And Jesus warns us all through the Sermon on the Mount not to be a hypocrite. Don't let your life and your words, what you say you believe and how you actually live, contradict each other. He says that that kind of incongruency is a crazy maker in your life. It is not the way you were created to live. And he's trying to get him to do, to put it into practice. Until you put it into practice, it's really not real. It's not really making a difference. You see, Jesus knew that if Peter would say yes, and his faith would, would intersect with God's faithfulness, it would change his life forever. And Jesus knows the same thing about you and about me. If I will bring my faith and intersect with God's faithfulness, I will step out and begin to live this stuff. That's where you meet God. That's where you see his power. That's where Jesus shows up at your workplace, like in your boat, so to speak. It's incredible. And this is what happened to Peter. Based on all that I know about you, Jesus, here's what I'm gonna do. Verse, uh, the very next verse, I will let down the nets. Let me ask you a personal question. What does that look like for you right now in your life? For you to say, God, I'm gonna let down my nets. What does it mean for you to let down the nets? It's something that's doable, it's just scary. It's doable, like you can do it, but you're running the risk of looking like an idiot in the eyes of somebody else. But it's something God clearly is pushing your heart to do. You're gonna have to take a step to go with him or else you will stay in a place of regret the rest of your life. You see, Peter took the next step. This was so critical. He, he was right there on the cusp, and he was like, okay, all right, God, we're going to do it. All right, Jesus, we're going to follow you. We're going to take the next step. And he didn't know what was at stake, and neither do we. But I bet many of you here would have a testimony today to say there, was, there were times where God brought me right up to the cusp of a decision and I was scared, but I made it anyway and now I shudder to think. It scares me to death to think that if I had not done that, how my life would have turned out differently, like really differently. A decision to not do or to do at a time when it went against everything that your friends were telling you it was just a time where you just like knew, that's what God's telling me to do. I need to do it. You see, Peter could have renamed this nameless, faceless, forgotten first century uh, fisherman, but instead, he lived a life that inspired so many countless thousands that came after him. He inspired one of the greatest uh, monuments made to any of the followers of Jesus. This is St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City, Rome, Italy, huge, beautiful. One of the architects, maybe you heard of him, Michelangelo. 
It was created back in 1506, took 120 years to build it. It was built literally on the site of Nero's circus where Peter was executed. There is no monument to Nero, by the way, the most powerful man in the, in the world at that time, but there is one to this little obscure fisherman from Capernaum because he said yes to Jesus. Because he says, because you say so. Because you say so. Where is he saying so for you today? And here's a, a picture of the inside. It's, it's beautiful. It's incredible. It's an amazing, one of the greatest monuments ever erected to a follower of Jesus to remind us, he said yes. He said yes. We never know what hangs in the balance of our next step. You are facing a next step right now. I am facing a next step. And we don't know what hangs in the balance. So I encourage you today that you would be willing to say yes. Yes, Jesus. In verse six, Luke tells us, and when they had, let's say it together, when they had done so. He said so, so they had done so. They finished. Now, think about it for a minute. That's a lot of work. They had to reload all those heavy nets. They were still wet. I don't know if you've ever tried to pull something that was made out of fabric that's wet, it's heavy, it's cumbersome. They had to gather the crew back up, go wake them all up. Like, are you kidding me? We just got off of, you know, a graveyard ship. Yeah, come on. Jesus wants to go fishing. We're going fishing. They row out to the deep, you know, lower the nets. The crowd's all staring at them. What do you think's going to happen? I don't know. What well, Jesus is out there. No telling what's going to happen. It was not when they believed so, but when they had done so. Because Jesus knew you can't have this without that. If you really believe, actions and applications will follow. That's how it works. You can't stand up at an altar at a wedding and, and say, I do, and commit to all of the stuff and not follow the commitment, right? That's not how it works. It's so powerful. Luke wants us to understand something that Jesus called people to do and to respond to God, teaching us that he is, this is God's way. He is active and faithful in our circumstances. He literally is coming and stepping on your boat too and saying, will you let me guide you? Even if it's totally unconventional wisdom, even if it feels like nobody in my industry does it this way, nobody thinks like this, nobody does it like this. And Jesus is saying, exactly. And this is going to build your faith. It's going to show you something beautiful. And in verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They were ripping apart. This was a career first for Peter. <laughs> like, I've never seen this before in my life. And why would Jesus, again, do a, a miracle of nature? Right? Now, he, we, we talked about miracles of healing earlier, but miracle of nature. Well, what he's showing us, he's teaching us that, that Jesus is literally God as a human. He's God in human form. He is master over the laws of physics and, and over the kingdoms uh, of the animal kingdoms of the world and all of the weather patterns and everything. He literally con controls it all. It's, it's, it's him. He's more than a teacher. He's more than just a moral teacher. In verse 8, we're told, when Simon Peter saw this, 
he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. Now, I don't know if you're paying attention, the astute observers in the audience will probably remember, this is not the original address that he had been using. He'd been calling him master. Now he's calling him Lord. And this word Lord here implies, is a much stronger term. It literally means one who has authority or ownership over me. I am your servant, in other words. Jesus is declaring Jesus as his Lord right there on his ship, he, on his boat. He's kneeling down. He's saying, yes, you are Lord, and you need to go away from me. Now, why did he say, go away from me, Lord? He tells us in the very next verse. He says, go away from me, Lord. I am a, let's say it together, I am a sinful man. It was his sin. You see, when you, when, you, when you have those moments when you're in the presence of God, you know God is there, we become keenly aware of our sin, our shortcomings, our insufficiencies, and you feel like, I don't belong here, God. I, I don't deserve this. And you know what? You're right. You don't. But God loves you anyway. It was as if he was saying to Jesus, if you only knew Jesus, and Jesus lets him know, I do know. Jesus did know. If you only knew, I do know. You see, Peter assumed that God would distance himself from him just like every other religious leader he had ever known. Back then, man, the, the first century fishermen, you know, you know the old saying about cuss like a sailor? That was what the first century fishermen were like. They were rough characters. They were not welcome in the synagogue to worship God they were rough characters. And for Jesus to go down there and hang out with him, talk to him, connect with him on his very boat, it was like, I'm going to speak your language, Peter. I'm going to connect with you. I'm going to let you know I love you. And I didn't come just to offer you salvation, although that's the big offer, but also to be able to save you from the day-to-day -day monotonous life that you're in. I want to infuse it with purpose that you get to do it unto God, that when you go to work tomorrow, wherever your work is, how much, however much you might hate your work, you can infuse new hope and excitement and, and wonder because God will use you in that place if you will ask him to. You say, make yourself available. Because you say so, God, I'm going to let down the nets. What does that look like for you? And I, I truly believe, guys, this is why if Luke could be here today, he would grab each of us by the shoulders and say, this is why I had to tell this story. This is why I had to show. God is this good. He will come for us. He loves us to such a degree. He'll speak our language. He'll come on our boat. He'll come among our people, even if, we are not like him. He likes us. He loves us. See, God had come near to draw us near. He had come near to draw us near. And this was what Peter was showing us over and over. God does not distance himself from us any more than he did from Peter. He loves us. And this might be the, the main message you need to hear today, that God loves you. He has come near that you might know him. And as Luke continues, he says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. You know why we know about Peter today? Why this was written about him? 
why he is still a name that is associated with the, the original disciples following Jesus? It's because he said yes to Jesus on this. He became a follower. He became a fisher of people. He did exactly as Jesus predicted. It's beautiful. And Luke goes on to say, so they pulled their boats up on shore, and there is no way I can overstate how huge what I'm about to read to you is. They left everything and followed him. They left everything. Wow. It was like you have no idea what he's offering you. And when you finally a little, little glimpse of what he's offering you, you will do the exact same thing we did. Now, he's not asking you to leave all your jobs, right? He's saying, I will meet you in the middle of your job. I will help you to become fisher of people right where you live, right where you work, right where you are, right on your boat. I, I'm, I'm gonna enter into it with you. But Peter would have said to us today, if he could be here today, I'm sure he would say something like this, like, Jesus did a little fish miracle for me, but what he did for you is way bigger, way more huge. And later in Peter's life, remembering back on the cross, he wrote this for us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Peter wrote, and when they hurled their insults at him, him being Jesus, he did not retaliate. He's like, I saw this with my own eyes. I witnessed this. I was an eyewitness of these things. He goes on to say, when he suffered, he had made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore whose sins? Our sins. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was paying for our sins in his body on the cross. He took it all upon himself. He came to speak our language, to connect with us so that we might know him and we might have the courage, the faith to invite him into our boat and say, because you say so, we will do so. That's why we follow. Not because, Jesus, but not because of what Jesus will do, but what he has already done for you and me, right? That's it. He meets us right where we are. So here's the question I want you to ask. What is your next step? What is the next step that God is clearly nudging your heart today? And even as I've been talking about it, it's kind of scaring you to death because you're like, I don't know how that's even possible. I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how this is gonna turn out. I've never tried to fish in the middle of the day, whatever that looks like in your life, right? Whatever that translates as. Dropping the nets, as we talked about. It's something that you can do, but you just haven't. You've been resisting because you're scared or you're worried about what are the people on the shore are gonna say about you, right? I, I, trust me, I felt the same way about some of the things God's put on my heart to do. It was crazy when I sat my family down and said, I feel like God's telling me to go in the ministry, but to start a church from scratch, not go to an actual church. And they were like, I don't know anybody that's ever done that before. And I said, I don't know anybody that's done it before either, but we're gonna do it and I don't know how it's gonna turn out. But guess what? Many times around here, the, the nets have ripped over God's blessing. It's been beautiful. And I tell you that not to brag on me or Brazos Fellowship, but just to say, if he did it with this country boy from Central Texas, he could do it with you. I promise you. I'm telling you, God wants to use you, but he's waiting for people to be willing to say, I'll take the next step. 
I'll take the next step. I'm going to take that step with you, Jesus. And just like Peter said in Luke 5, 5, because you say so, because you say so, I'm going to trust you. And here's the prayer I'm asking you to pray today, simply to say, Jesus, I'm taking this next step with you. And maybe that next step is getting involved in the, in the body of Christ. You have been very much a spectator, but not a participator in the local body of Jesus, the expression of his, his body, the church. And it's time for you to say, where can I serve? Where can I get plugged in? How can I contribute, make a difference here? Maybe it's beginning to trust God with your family and your marriage, if you are married, and begin to pray Pray with your spouse. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your kids and let it be a regular thing to make time in your day, to make time to pray and to seek God and to read his word. Let him speak to you through his word. Make time to do that. Maybe if you're dating, it's inviting Jesus into your dating life and say, we're gonna stop doing all the things that dishonor God and we're gonna start doing the things that honor God. Woo, that's a big step if you haven't been doing that, right? But God will bless you in ways you can't even fathom if you were willing to do that. And I just want to encourage you to, to take that next step. What is he telling you to do? Maybe it's learning to become generous and be, bring the tithe, the, the first tenth of what God's blessed you with, to bring it as an offering of worship to the place, whether it's here or wherever you call home, your church, to bring it and to bring it as an offering of worship. Do that. Take that next step. Or maybe it's 2% or 5% or whatever, but just taking the step of faith, follow him to get there, right? So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to ask us to bow together in prayer right now. And in this prayer, would you be willing to say yes to whatever God is nudging your heart is the next step, okay? Let's do that together. Lord, we come before you right now. And God, just like Peter there are many in this room right now that you are nudging their heart to take the next step. And just like Peter, God, I pray that they would do it. Just do it. Would you commit to God right now, wherever you're sitting, balcony, floor, watching this online, would you just raise your hand right now and say, God, I'm saying yes. I will take that next step. And I don't even know how this is gonna turn out, Thank you for the courage. Anybody else in here, raise your hand up and just say, yes, I'm willing to take that next step. I don't even know how this is gonna turn out. God bless you all over the floor, the balcony. God, I pray for every person who's saying, yes, Lord, help me to take that next step. Help me to follow you. It's not simply about adhering to a belief in my mind. It's about believing it enough that it changes the way I behave and the way I live and how I apply your word to my life. Really live it. That's when it becomes alive and where our faith intersects with your faithfulness and we're changed forever. And I pray, God, that would begin to happen like crazy around this church in people's workplace, in their homes, in their friendship circle, in their extracurricular things they're a part of, whatever that is, Lord, I pray that you would help them to have the courage to invite you in and follow. Because you say so, I will do so. You may lower your hands. And right now, all across this room, if you're here and you're like, I don't know where I stand with God, 
I don't know if I have a relationship with him or not. I don't know what would happen to me if all of this life came to an end today. We're told in the Gospel of John that he tells us, I have written these things that you may know that you have eternal life, that you have confidence, security. Right now, right where you're sitting, I want you to leave here with security. Would you just right now invite Jesus into your life? Say, Jesus, right now, I'm asking you to apply your, your forgiveness when you took on my sin on the cross in your body so that I could be forgiven, I, I, I ask, I receive right now that forgiveness from you. Would you tell him that? Please forgive me right now and be the Lord, the leader of my life from this moment forward. If there are any of you here that just said yes to Jesus, asking him to forgive your sin and be the Lord and leader of your life, would you just lift your hand? I want to just pray for you. God bless you right here, right over here in the back, over here. Anybody else over here? God bless you back here. Anybody in the balcony? Giving it my life over to Jesus today. Thank you. I see you, sweetheart, right there. Thank you. And back here on the back row, God bless you guys. Father, you tell us, Jesus, you preach this, that even over one lost sinner who turns their heart back to you, there is a, a celebration among the angels, all of the hosts of heaven. There is a party going on in heaven today over the lives that have been changed in this place. And it is only because of you, Jesus, only because of you. We praise you. We thank you for that. And I pray, God, that those who gave their life to you today would share it with somebody that will celebrate with them and that you will keep taking steps with us. Come back next week. Bring somebody with you. Let's keep on this journey together and not give up doing good because in due time, you will reap a harvest. The nets will break with blessing in due time. We praise you, Jesus, for that truth, and we hold on to it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. God bless you guys. Come back next week. We're going to continue to investigate Jesus. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.